I think we're live. Hello. Hello. Welcome. welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. This is the monthly check-in edition of Ancestrally Speaking. And it's the very first one of, what is it? It's the very first one of 2021. Sunday, January the 3rd, 2021. And my goodness, we made it. Greetings, 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 good people, and welcome to another edition of Cat's Corner of the Podcast. I am your host, Marissa Cat, Cat of the Day, and we are getting into a new season. I am currently on my porch, so the birds in the background are the birds that hang out on my tree, and I decided that I would do this first episode in a place where I have spent a great deal of time as we have sort of, you know, as our world has changed. And it was comforting for me, actually, to be out here on the porch. So I figured, you know, let me bring you all to my porch. So we're going to pretend we're on the porch having a conversation. It has been a minute. A lot has happened. And when I decided that I wanted to restart my podcast, I set on a journey to figure out what my voice would be in this time. And I had a whole plan. (laughs) And then I realized that... I needed to reintroduce myself because who I was in previous episodes is not who I am now. And so I'm calling this episode, let me reintroduce myself because things are different. And I wanted to acknowledge that in this very first episode of the new season. We're over a year into a global pandemic, and I'm sure like there are parts of you that are just as surprised and as incredulous as I am at the ridiculousness of uh, what we've been dealing with. I'm based in the United States. So the world has watched our our fumbles and our craziness and, you know, having a president that initially called it a hoax and watching so many people die in such a short amount of time has really changed, I think, all of us forever. Even with so much access to so much information, we as humans just continue to flounder and we act like there's no information or no history that has come before us. So while we have a lot of information from previous pandemics, I'm just blown at how little that actually means in real life and real practice. But I digress. That is another conversation for another episode. Today, I wanted to talk about a particular backdrop that is even more present. So there's the pandemic, you know, it's sort of one curtain, but there's an overlay on the pandemic that I walk with. And I just thought, if I'm going to reintroduce myself, I really should start with this. That curtain, as you know, to continue that metaphor, I guess, is grief. Um, it's like a really quiet soundtrack almost that plays in the background of everything that I do lately. And I have come to some conclusions around my process and the fact that I haven't processed things that have happened. And so I wanted to tell you a little story. At the beginning of this year, I was not very convinced that there was going to be anything new about it. And I sat with three other sisters, my sister circle, Andrea, Evelyn, and Simone, Simone Briziando, who had started during the pandemic, this really great series called Ancestrally Speaking. She would do these on IG Live and she would speak to a bunch of different folks individually. And it was a lot of fun. I actually did one. We had a really great conversation. It was so much fun. Um, Simone Briziando was the creator of the Adinkra Oracle cards, and she had a whole line of ritual 
candles that a lot of folks were going gangbusters over. So when she decided to do a group session with the four of us, you know, we decided we liked it. We had a really great response and we did it live. And we decided once a month we would do it. So we would do it at the top of the month, the first Sunday of the month. And that way we would be able to kind of set intentions together. So it was like a little, you know, a little coven, if you know, if I'm honest, of black women, you know, holding space for each other and having this very live conversation. And so on January 3rd of this year, we sat and we talked and um, she, you know, she asked us all what we, what we were hoping for, what we were looking forward to um, in this new year. And I, I was very adamant that we should not call it the new year. We should call it the next year because I wasn't convinced that there was anything new that was coming. And that was like the running joke. And in the space of this, I had said for, you know, my response that I just wanted for black women specifically, because that was her question, for us to just embrace the love that we get, even if it's not the love that, you know, because we had been talking about relationships and intimate partners and all of that. I was like, even if it's not the love that you want specifically, we have a lot of love in our lives and we should, you know, we should let our sisters love up on us and say thank you and appreciate that when it shows up. And so that was the the backdrop of that conversation. That day, we started late because Simone was late. She hadn't logged on. So we were on the back end of the platform waiting for her. We texted her to make sure she was okay. She got on and she's like, yeah, I've just been a bit tired. And, you know, we'd all been a bit tired and we'd all talked about being tired, but we're also very much into astrology and planetary movements. And so we're looking at the moon charts and, you know, looking at the birth charts and then trying to figure out, okay, well, what's going on cosmically? Because that might also be why all of us are feeling this, this heaviness. We also hadn't seen each other in person. Um, Andrea had been able to see her, I think the weekend before, but she'd since, you know, she'd moved to a new apartment. I hadn't been able to see that just yet. There were a lot of really amazing things happening in the midst of all of this trauma and tragedy of the pandemic. So on the third, when we had that conversation, in a lot of ways, I was just channeling the collective energy, you know, and what I wanted for black women was just to feel the love that you have in your life and not overlook it because it doesn't look the way you want it to. I also said something about feet and the importance of taking care of your feet, which was hilarious. I'll make sure that the link to that episode is there um, in the in the description. When we got off the live it was you know as we usually did we just hung out on the back end and we just talked and I looked at her and I said you don't look well what's going on she's like I'm just really tired and I said you know I need you to go get checked out you just you don't look well and so I left it at that and went on about the rest of the day Monday night the fourth I'm in the meeting I get a call and it's Andrea saying hey have you talked to Simone she hasn't been feeling well. So I call her. I step out of my meeting to call her, talk to her for a little bit. And she's basically telling me she's not feeling well. And so we're all urging her, you know, to go to the hospital and get checked out. And it's a scary situation because by that point, we had already seen a lot of examples of how medical racism plays itself out. And I don't remember the doctor's name, but I'll find the link and make sure we add it in the description. The doctor who was admitted for COVID who understood what was going on and was updating everyone via Facebook about how her suggestions for her own care were just largely being ignored. That was happening. You know, there was already, you know, we'd already dealt with, you know, George Floyd 
the year before. Like there was just a lot of tension in this black women. We know that we are not taken seriously when we enter into some of these health spaces. So unless there's an advocate, it can get really tricky. So, you know, she was scared and I recognized that and I was like, okay, you know, you still got to go. And so there was this shadow. Um, For those of you that know me, you know, I have certain gifts and the shadow said, hey, I'm not here for her, but I have room in the car. And so I felt a sense of urgency and, you know, I really pushed her to, to go to the hospital and I really pushed her to, you know, contact her family in the UK and let somebody know. He got my backup. I wanted to make sure that she was okay. And so spoke to her some more. We had a plan, you know, she was going to go. And I ended up having a really great conversation with Andrea afterwards. And, you know, we were just going to pull everybody onto a WhatsApp. And this is what black women do. You know, um, we pull everybody on a WhatsApp and we just keep track. So she, her job is to update us as much as possible. I went to sleep that night late. And about six in the morning, I felt her standing over me. So I jumped up and I was like, oh, let me check in, make sure everything's good. And um, I was late joining the WhatsApp. So I missed all of the conversations that were happening prior to being added. But she, you know, people had talked to her and she was, you know, waiting and all of that. And so we checking in with each other and we are having, you know, hey, have you talked to her? Have you talked to her? And the assumption is that she's been through a lot. She's tired. She's probably just resting. At about 11 a.m., I get the news that my friend has died. And so prior to that, there was sort of before the pandemic and after the pandemic. Now my world is before Simone died and after Simone died. It is really hard to lose anybody. I don't care what the situation is. And I have experience with two very tragic losses in my lifetime, my mother and my sister. This feels and hits differently in ways that I can't even begin to explain. And having to kind of hear that news and having to process that news and then having to snap myself out of the grief space because the reality now is our friend has died, but she's not from this country. We have to figure out how to get her body back to her family becomes the only thing that matters at this point. Ooh, I didn't think this was going to be as hard as this is. So we get on the five of us initially. There's five of us. We get on a WhatsApp group um, with Simone's sister and we start, you know, figuring out, you know, what, what do we do now? And so the question is asked, can someone take the lead? I'm an eldest. I'm the oldest in the group. This is what I'm built for, you know, fair or not fair. Like I'm built for like this kind of work. This is what I'm built for. So I say, yes, I will step up. And um, I call my dad and I say, hey, you know, he knew who Simone was. He didn't, he'd never met her because she'd never made it down to DC for us to like hang out from her to meet my dad. But he knew that, you know, he knows who my close friends are. And I was like, this is what's happened. He was, you know, he was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And, you know, he's Muslim. So, you know, he's saying prayers. And I said, I have to go to New York. And my father freaks out. He's like, why do you have to go? Why are you, why are you doing this? Why can't you just, what are you doing? I was like, dad, if I died in another country, would you not want to make sure that you got my body back? 
And he said, yes. I said, well, then there's your answer. I was like, you know, this is not up for discussion. I'm going. I just want you to know I'll stay in touch the whole time, but we have to go and close down her apartment. There's a lot of things that need to happen and we have to get her body back. So I set up a GoFundMe. I, you know, for those of you that follow me on social media, I, you know, we had to wait until her family could properly be informed. And then we had to make the announcement because someone had already sort of jumped the gun. Um, so it was already floating out that this had happened. And so I was already getting calls and text messages. And so I had to, as a leader, step up and say, hey, this is what has happened. What you've heard is true. The fam- we are all devastated and the family is devastated. And I remember specifically saying, please do not contact her family at this time. If you have questions, you can contact me directly via DM. We've set, we set up a Gmail account. You can post all your questions there. But I'm going to act as a shield and I'm going to ask you to leave the family alone because they were being bombarded. And, you know, in a grief, in a space like this with someone who had some notoriety, it does, it's tricky. You know, everybody wants to know what happened and all of these things. And just for the record, that's not the point of this conversation. I'm not revealing what happened. I'm just letting you know some of the events because it largely influences how I see the world now. And I had to pull myself together and drive up to New York because I knew I was going to have to take things back and we were going to have to empty her apartment out. And it was a lot. When you are in your 40s and you die, especially if you're unpartnered, it gets tricky because you've amassed a great, you've amassed some things, but you also aren't thinking necessarily that you're going to die. So you may not be, you're not preparing for it. So there isn't a nice, neat way that things can, like, there's no checklist. And not to say that there's a checklist when you're 60 or 70 because people die all the time. But it was really strange closing down my sister's house. The first time I actually got to see her new apartment was to go and close it down. And there was this odyssey, you know, we all started coming from different parts most of them were actually in New York or Jersey, but, you know, we had one friend who was in upstate. I had to come from Maryland, so I had to drive. And because of the way that I normally move, it never occurred to me to ask someone to help. So the hypocrisy of me driving my ass all the way up to New York by myself and not thinking about at some point I got to drive myself back is something that I will always that that was a huge lesson. We get up there and it's like, wow, you know, the five of us, the four of us initially until Evelyn came and then it was the five of us. But that moment of all of us being in the room together and in her space and having to look at all of the things that this woman was doing. She was running a mini empire from her apartment and there was just this sense of she was actually getting so much done. But because of the pandemic and because of these other things, it's hard to see sometimes when you're in the middle of it. But when you're standing outside and watching someone, you could see all of the ways that she was getting things done. And it was really powerful. And I was in that moment, I was really proud of what she had accomplished because I remember when Simone had moved here, we had just connected. We'd been introduced to each other while I was in London and she was just an instant spark. And I was like, yeah, you know, when you get to New York, let's get up and. I remember each apartment that she had, 
And every time she got a new apartment, you know, I'd eventually make my way up and hang out and spend the night and we would have these adventures. And it was just this amazing time of just me and her talking and learning. And she was one of the youngest in the, in the crew. But as Evelyn says, since I forget how old I am, I would forget that she wasn't closer in age to me. Um, there was a wisdom that she had and a fierceness in the way that she approached things. And, you know, it was, it was admirable. Um, closing down her apartment was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Having to account for the sheer grief of her family, you know, the fact that she was Ghanaian and that, you know, there were things that we had to do to, you know, culturally to respect, you know, the, the, the rights and the, what's, what's done when people die. And, you know, even things like what to pick out for her to be dressed in, you know, having to go to the funeral home and two of the sisters had the the hard job of actually going to the hospital after she passed to collect her things and to track down, you know, information and to figure out what the next steps were. And, you know, we were all, we all had roles and, you know, I coordinated, you know, a lot of the, um, the travel piece of it with a really good cousin who was amazing. I mean, he did an amazing job of just kind of, we worked together in tandem and just trying to make sure that all the, you know, T's were crossed and the I's were dotted and we got a lot done. We got a lot done in a short period of time. I was there for a week and I'll never forget it because it was the pre-week before I was scheduled to start teaching. And so I went into the spring semester completely with my, like I felt like my head wasn't screwed on right. Like I was completely blown away at everything that was happening. And um, I would take these walks because it was just, it was a lot. You know, I spent the night, I would stay, I stayed in her apartment and you know, everyone was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, you know, I had a candle that I kept lit for her while we were, while we were all there. And, um, you know, I would just walk around her apartment and just kind of see her in that space, working and pulling things and, and making things and doing things. And there was just this immense, just feeling of like, wow, I really don't know what to do with this. So there was one day I had to walk cause I was just, it was just too much. And um, I realized I wasn't breathing properly. So I was like, let me go for a walk. And my dad it was frantic. God bless this Yoruba man. He was so frantic. And um, I had checked in several times, but every time I would call him, it would go to voicemail. And I was like, dad, I'm calling you and it's going to voicemail. And he's sending me text messages. He's like, why aren't you checking in? And I'm like, I am checking in, but you're not paying attention. Like I'm, I'm trying to call you and it's going to voicemail. He realizes that he's on do not disturb. And it's just like, it's a frenzy. At the same time, the GoFundMe is like, is going bananas. Within eight hours of posting, by the time I got to New York the next day, we had exceeded our goal in terms of the amount we needed to get her body back to her family. By the time we closed it down, we had almost doubled what our goal was. So while I'd said it several times, I will say it again. Thank you to everyone that contributed. We could not have done this without you. Her family is forever grateful because the way that we were able to, you know, activate as like this Voltron of blackness and get this money raised and get her body back to her family. She died on Tuesday, January 5th. And, you know, I went up that next week and by the end of the following week, that Friday, I believe, we were able to send her home. And that's super impressive. But the walk, 
you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to digress where I need to. The walk was important because there was one walk that I took where, um, you know, to be in New York at that point in January, it was really strange. It was a lot more quiet than I'd ever seen it. Folks were all masked up and everyone, there was just this general sort of heaviness. And so I was walking and my dad had called and left a voicemail. And so I listened to his voicemail and he basically was, he basically said, I'm not saying that you're a prophet and I'm a smart ass. So in my head, I'm like, maybe you are. He's like, I'm not saying you're a prophet, but you are doing Allah's work. And I'm incredibly proud of you. Um, he's like, I know how you are. You know, I know you, you take these things very seriously. You move fast. And I just want you to know that I'm really proud of you. And also don't talk to strangers and keep your mask on. And so that was probably the first time I felt tears and they were small. I hadn't really been able to process what was happening. I just knew I had to, I had to make sure my sister got back to her family. So I hadn't really been able to engage in sort of the emotional aspect of things, but there was just all of this movement, you know, black women. Oh my gosh. Watching these sisters and watching, you know, sort of stepping outside of myself and watching us get things done, packing things up, making calls, finding out where, you know, things can be stored. We had a moment where we had to figure out where her storage unit was. Um, and so these four African aunties at some point, because <laughs> that's what we look like. I was out here, you know, acting like Sherlock and we found the key and the key had a key chain. And, you know, I noticed that there was a certain like time frame. I was like, okay, so we just have to triangulate. She didn't have a car. Wherever the storage unit is would have to be in walking distance. And these were just moments that we would have. We were just trying to figure stuff out. And one of my most favorite memories of that week was that at 10 o'clock at night, we all decide that we're going to walk to the storage unit. We figured out what we think is a storage unit. So we're going to go and we're going to see if we can figure this out. <laughs> We got, you know, some research and some prayers. And so we bundle up and the four of us set out on this walking tour um, of this part of Brooklyn to go and find the storage unit. And so at every marker, once we found the storage unit, it was like, yay, we celebrate it. And when we put in the access code and it worked, it was like, yay, we celebrate it. And then when we got to the actual storage unit, it was this comical moment of, well, did you bring the key? Well, no, I thought you had the key. Well, wait a minute. Who was supposed to bring the key? I was like, look, I found the storage unit. That was my job. Who was supposed to bring the key? And so we were standing there in front of her storage unit with no key. And it was the most hilarious moment. And, you know, we kind of all looked at each other and it was this clear understanding that we were in this together. And so we were able to move her things, close up her apartment. By the time I left, there was just a few things left and we had already coordinated with the, the apartment complex and yeah, we, we got it done. And I will forever be in awe of us in that moment, watching these black women come together to make sure that our sister's things were respectfully taken care of, that we, you know, were able to send some things immediately back to her family. So we packed up like three boxes and we were able to send the things that we thought her sisters and her mom and dad and her and her her nibblings would want um, just to make sure that everybody had something of hers. We were able to get all of that squared away. We were able to find extended family that we were, you know, we were connected with. We were able to set up a funeral, a viewing. Actually, it was more of a viewing than a funeral. And so we got a chance to hold space for her while a few friends, 
you know, were able to come out and, you know, pay their respects. And it all happened really, really fast. And so driving back home, you know, I felt myself completely coming undone. I remember pulling into one of the fancy plazas, you know, on the on the road and really considering calling somebody and saying, I can't, I can't do this. I can't drive myself anymore. I'm, I was in Maryland, but I was in that part of Maryland where you're still about an hour away. And it was incredibly difficult. And I remember thinking, why didn't I just, why didn't I set this up? You know, why didn't I have somebody meet me up here and help drive me back home? Because I had people that would have done it. Everyone was concerned. And so we, we got our body out. I cried in the parking lot and like got myself together. And I was like, I got to do this because I'm, I'm too far. I'm too close and too far at the same time. And I drove like I had, I had to fight it, but I finally got myself home, dropped things off in various places, took the car back to the rental space and kind of began this, this process of life without Simone. And that experience um, has stayed with me and it has um, it has bound us you know eventually there were two other sisters and we refer to ourselves as Simone's seven and we have plans next year on January 5th to meet up and kind of check in with each other and sort of talk about what that this first year has been like because it has been it's been weird and hard and in terms of losing her having to deal with the pandemic as that other backdrop, that other curtain has just been incredibly just difficult. And it has taken a lot out of all of us. Um, it is an effect. It has affected us mentally, spiritually. All of us have health issues right now that we're all trying to work through and collectively being able to lean on each other and have these conversations um, has been incredibly important. Like even when I decided that I couldn't restart this podcast without at least acknowledging this grief space. Um, I talked to Andrea and I was like, Hey, I feel like I have to do this. She was like, you should do it. You know, it's who you are. And, you know, for you, there's lessons. And so, you know, the podcast always has these takeaways and, you know, I wanted to share that story with you all because it's part of the narrative of who I am now. I am irrevocably changed as a result of this loss. And I realize that about myself and um, it's taken about seven months to come into that understanding. So I can honestly say, I just now feel like I'm starting this, this grief process. I have been in this weird space of, I know she's gone because I touched her body and I was there, you know, and at the same time, wow. You know, there are days where somebody will say some craziness about black women and I just think, man, let me check in with Simone and see if she saw this and realized that that's not, I can't call her on the phone anyways, but I do have a space for her set up in my house. And, you know, the anger took a while to subside. And once, you know, that subsided, you know, there's just been this deep reflection of hoping that as a friend, I did enough to support her and you know, hoping that, you know, in showing up the way we did, she feels honored. And at the same time, really wishing she was here because things are just getting interesting. But yeah, that's where I am. That's what is sort of my, my soundtrack right now. And so as we journey together in this new iteration of Cat's Corner, the podcast, thinking about that space around aging and creativity and death, 
um, not to be morbid, but just to be honest, will be part of that. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I am. The takeaways, because I, you know, I, I'm big on takeaways. I think the three biggest takeaways from this particular understanding is that while we don't know when our time is, we all know that at some point we will leave this earth. And so thinking about your legacy and thinking about how you want to be remembered as her friends, we have plans to make sure that she is not forgotten. We have plans to make sure that, you know, folks will know who she was. Um, her family will always, you know, her family's never going to forget her, but we do think that, you know, she did a lot for black women. And so there's a way in a space that I, you know, plan to honor her with some things, but also in a way that we want to collectively remember her. So that's one, you know, thinking about your legacy and making it so that people can actively remember you. And so, you know, I'm thinking about making sure that at least one of the pumpkins knows here are the diaries, here are the journals. <laughs> so if you ever want to know what I was thinking, you know, there you have it. I think the second thing is just we're living in weird ass times. So having a plan, like, how do you want to be buried? Like, what do you want to be, you know, what do you want that to look like? And I know it sounds morbid, but I do think it's helpful to know where your things are, you know, um, unpartnered people, partnered people. Like, do you have a plan that says, here are all the passwords. We had to do a lot to access accounts and make sure things were closed down properly. And, you know, part two of this will at some point be about the process of disseminating all of the stuff that she created and what that felt like because that was overwhelming but do you have a place where if something were to happen to you people could access your accounts and they knew you know how to shut things down um you know who's listed on your beneficiary so you know in that sort of earth plane space those first are the two things that that come to mind the third thing is the importance of community you know the seven of us went through this together so there's a built-in community there I know I can call on those folks, but I have an amazing community that has, you know, initially reached, you know, was very adamant about reaching out and that still asks, you know, um, Simone only died in January. And so the grief is real. It's not over. Um, I don't know that grief is ever really over. I think at some point you just find ways to hold that space, but um, it's been hard, right? And it's been just also amazing. I, I, I learned a lot in the process of closing out her space. And I learned a lot about my sisters in closing out her space. And I feel like we're stronger because we went through that together. And the way we hold space for each other has changed a bit. Now that we got Simone on the other side, you know, we have this fierce ancestor, you know, fighting for us as well. And so that part makes me feel lighter. That's the part that I, that I go to when things don't feel as right as I, know that I can call on my people and say, hey, I'm not okay. And it's like, okay, let's figure out how we make you better. Those are the three takeaways. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be back in this iteration. I'm hoping that you found this useful and helpful in some way and that um, you'll continue on this journey with me. I have an amazing editor. Aileen is, is going to make this thing sound amazing, but I also have someone now in place to help make sure that these podcasts actually see the light of day because there are so many that I started and didn't finish. So I now have somebody to help hold me accountable and to help make sure that things sound great. So with that, I'm going to close this one out. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for your support. I'm looking forward to sharing more adventures with you and uh, just appreciate your time and attention. Take care.
we've come to the end of our monthly check-in. Oh. We have, I know, right? It just needs to be all the time, really. But I mean, <laughs> what's really important is that we've not only have we created this space, but others are coming in. They're enjoying it. They're staying with us. They're getting the gems. They're thinking about themselves in, in the aspects of how we're speaking. And so that's that's the beauty of this kind of monthly check-in. But also, it's not only just about, okay, let us just share our, our um, pearls of knowledge. It's really like, give space, right? Let's have like an hour a week or whatever it is. Hey folks, just wanted to take a minute to say thank you so much for listening to Cat's Corner, the podcast. If you would like to follow me on social media, please do so. I'm at K-A-T-S-K-O-R-N-E-R-C-O, Cat's Corner Co. on both IG and Twitter. You can also follow my company, Low Social Productions, at LSP underscore on the go. That is both at IG and Twitter. And always feel free to come visit us at www.lowsoso.com. L-I-L-S-O-S-O dot com. Thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it.